0: Hey, folks, it's Luke. Stay where you are, because in the next hour, you're going to meet a programmer-turned-musician who got into it with the TV show Glee over this sweet, sweet love
6: song. Ladies, ladies, if you want to roll in my Mercedes, then tell around and stick it out. Even white boys gotta shout. Baby got back.
0: <laughs> well, this is the show that just dialed 1-900-mix-a-lot, this is... Live Wire! Wire! From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Live Wire with writer and cartoonist Molly Crabapple, dessert chef Christina Tozy, and music from Jonathan Colton, plus our comedy troupe Ira Glass Houses and our house band led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. Yes, indeed. Congratulations, America. You made it to another edition of Live Wire Radio. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, and we got a great show for you this week, recorded, as always, in front of a live crowd at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. You know, this week we talked to a woman who visited Guantanamo Bay and lived to sketch about it.
2: I want people to see the Gitmo detainees not as these boogeymen in orange jumpsuits, but as humans just like them. We ate dessert with the one superstar baker that you never want your kids to
0: meet.
3: Whenever we come to a new city, we bring multiple crack pies because you really got to peddle it.
0: And we even talked Baby Got Back with the guy who wrote the song and unintentionally launched a thousand horrible karaoke renditions.
7: I, I think it's because when I wrote the song, I intentionally did not... Try to uh, flow. I didn't try to rap at a level where the average Joe would not be able to sing it drunk.
0: First up, though, I recently had a little what you might call run in with my wife. And it sort of highlighted for me the negative way that all these technological advances, I think, are actually affecting my life. And I really had to get it off my chest. So here's how things started. I would like to send a message uh, from my heart to the people who are inventing The little things that are supposed to make our lives more convenient and easy, I would like you guys to slow your roll, if you could, uh, please. Because what's happening is these inventions are causing my brain to devolve, like rapidly. I have like a Benjamin Button situation going on, but it's internal and it has to do with me performing basic tasks. I realized this a few weeks ago. My wife asked me, um, out of a sign of love, if I knew her cell phone number by heart. And I looked at her, and I guessed. <laughs> and I guessed way wrong. I think the 555 was sort of a dead giveaway. <laughs> Not a real number. And then I, I realized, oh, of course, I, I've never known her cell phone number. The whole time we've been together from our first date, she was just a name in my phone. I don't remember anyone's phone number anymore. In fact, if you put a gun to my head, I could not memorize seven digits in a row anymore, right? That is a part of my brain that is now used for fantasy football. Okay, the important stuff. Of course, I don't have to do that anymore because the machines, they do it for me. I don't know if you guys have tried spelling something without autocorrect, but give up all hope. And hope is not spelled with two Ps. Common misconception. You know, autocorrect is a very weird thing. Autocorrect is like Rain Man. Sometimes it is incredible in its abilities, and sometimes you're one letter off, and it's like, how water burn, baby? (laughs) I do this thing now when I'm trying to spell without autocorrect. I call it porky pigging. I write the thing. It's wrong. I keep writing it, and eventually I just have to pick a different word. I was trying to write spatula for ten minutes. Eventually I just had to go with food picky uppie thingy <laughs> And you know, if trying to uh, write things with autocorrect is is hard, trying to handwrite things is impossible at this point for all of us, right? Like, I have not given my mother a birthday card in years because I cannot handle the pressure of writing love you bunches in my actual script. <laughs> so I guess tonight I would just I would ask the the inventor people out there to please just slow down a little bit f- for me. My my ver, var leaf, var, var. I, I, I hand wrote this last part, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, my very life could depend on it. Okay, thank you. All right, many years ago, Jonathan Colton was just like you. He had a job he kind of liked But he also had a song in his heart, a lot of songs actually, about coding and robots and the Mandelbrot set, which as you know is a mathematical set of points whose boundaries is a distinctive and easily recognizable two-dimensional fractal shape. (laughs) A lot of stuff already covered by Van Halen. Um, (laughs) Jonathan is now kind of rich and really famous and even serves as the house musician for NPR's game show, Ask Me Another, Please. Welcome back, Jonathan Colton to Live
1: Wire. Hello. This is a song about the future.
6: Last week I left a note on Laura's desk it said, I love you, signed anonymous friend Turns out she's smarter than I thought she was She knows I wrote it now, the whole class does too And i all along during couples skate When she skates by, I some guy on her arm But I know that I'll forget pity in her face Living in my solar dome on a platform in space, cause it's gonna be the future soon. And I won't always be this way when the things that make me weak and strange get engineered away. It's gonna be the future soon, I've never seen it quite so clear. But when my heart is breaking, I can close my eyes, and it's already. I'll probably be some kind of scientist Building inventions in my space lab in space I'll end world hunger, I'll make dolphins speak Work through the daytime, spend my nights and weekends Perfecting my warrior robot race Building them one laser gun at a time I will do my best to teach them About life and what it's worth Just hope that I can Keep them from destroying The earth, cause it's gonna be The future soon I won't always be this way When the things that make me Weak and strange get engineered Away, it's gonna be the future Soon, I've never Seen it quite so clear When my heart is Breaking, I can close my already here on earth, they'll wonder, as that piece by piece replace myself? And stealing circuits will make me whole, but I'll still feel so alone until Laura calls me home. I'll see her standing by the monorail She'll look the same except for bionic eyes She lost the real ones in the robot wars I'll say I'm sorry, she'll say it's not your fault Or is it she'll eye me suspiciously Hearing the whir of the servos inside She'll scream and try to run But there's nowhere she can hide When a crazy cyborg wants to make you his robot bride Well, it's gonna be the future soon and I won't always be this way When the things that make me weak and strange get engineered away It's gonna be the future soon I've never seen it quite so clear when my heart is breaking, I can close my eyes. It's already here. Jonathan Colton here
0: on LiveWire. Thank Can, you, can, you. can uh, we talk a little bit about this sort of semi-recent controversy where you... You covered a Sir Mix-a-Lot song. That's right. And then the television show Glee stole your cover of that song and didn't credit you. That's correct. And then the internet exploded.
1: That's pretty much what happened, although I'm not sure I should say the word stole, because they have a lot of powerful lawyers. I don't want to make anybody mad over there, you know. Uh, Yeah, it was a surprising thing. Somebody pointed uh, on a fan site, a Glee fan site. Somebody had leaked a recording of a song from an upcoming episode, and it was a it was the glee cast singing my exact arrangement of that sir Mix-a-Lot song and i could tell because the original sir Mix-a-Lot song does not have a melody and <laughs> my version does so what
0: i mean what was the resolution
1: uh, you know it's one of those things where <laughs> there's some complicated legal issues involving copyright uh, they they never said anything publicly about it privately they said uh, we believe we're within our rights to do this and you should be thankful for the exposure and we're not going to pay you and we're not going to credit you. Good luck. And, uh, you know, I went a few rounds with some attorneys and ultimately it came down to do I really want to be in a protracted legal battle with the Fox Corporation?
0: I don't see that how that can go wrong.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I opted not to do that. Instead, I did a kind of protest thing where I, I, <laughs> I took my song... I renamed it uh, Baby Got Back in the style of Glee. (laughs) And I posted it on iTunes for sale. And uh, all of the proceeds from that track uh, I gave to uh, charities, uh, to It Gets Better and uh, uh, VH1 Save the Music Foundation.
0: And, And Fox gave all their proceeds to the Syrian government.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Probably,
0: everybody's doing their best.
1: You guys, everyone's got their favorite charity, you know.
0: I I mentioned in the in the intro, I I, I sort of jokingly said you're you're kind of rich now, and and that's well, you did an interview with the NPR show, Planet Money, and it was about the the way that the economic model for making money as a musician is really changing, and you're in this world, I think a little bit too of like Amanda Palmer from Dresden Dolls, who like a lot of people are doing now, crowdfunded a record she was working on and was able to raise a a really good amount of money. But then immediately people started saying, well, what's she spending it on? And also, uh, is she paying herself too much? And it seems like there's this weird relationship between artists like yourself who often use Kickstarter and other crowd things that then when the people want to get a part of that experience, become a part of that experience, there are a lot of strings that come with that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a complicated relationship uh, between between fan and artist, and I think it always has been. But it certainly has been further complicated by the fact that frequently artists are being supported directly by fans. And yeah, I think I think that does come with some strings. Uh, you know, I think you need to you need to give back. So it's very important for me to 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 give back in that direction to fans and to and to talk to them on social media or or. Uh, Uh, to be with them after shows, you know. It's an important part of the uh, circle of life in the music Mm -hmm. business, you know. I really think of you as the Mufasa, (laughs) raising a digital Simba.
0: Yeah. Actually, was that the monkey that did that? I don't know. Who can
1: remember? All those animals.
0: Um, You also were one of the, the pioneers of this notion that what geeks should really be doing is getting together in their bathing suits on the high seas and celebrating each other's strength. Why did you think that would work?
1: Yes, uh, well, you're speaking, of course, of uh, Joko Cruise Crazy, my annual fan cruise. Yes, Yes. I am. Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, it was an idea to get all the fans together in one place and have kind of a convention hangout thing, and it seemed perfectly ridiculous to do it on a cruise ship, which is one of the most (laughs) ridiculous places you can be. Uh, And, yeah, it's funny, all 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 the nerds show up uh, very pale and not really prepared for the <laughs> Caribbean sun. But we have a, we have a fine time. It's, a, it's one of those things where it's just really nice to be together with them. It really is a lot of fun.
0: Jonathan Colton, ladies and gentlemen, also known as Joko. He'll be back in a few minutes. All right, just hold on a quick minute. We're going to hit pause on the live part of Livewire. It's Luke. I'm at my house in Seattle now. And this whole Jonathan Colton versus Glee thing Really struck me because it's really just the latest act in the very long, kind of strange life of the song "Baby Got Back."
8: I like big.
0: Buts. And I was thinking about it because I actually know the guy who wrote the song. His name's Anthony Ray. You probably know him as Sir Mix a Lot. And so this week I gave him a call. Hello. Hey Mix, it's Luke. What's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Is this an okay time to talk? Yeah, yeah. I'm
7: just uh, just finished up lunch and headed out of here.
0: Hey, so um, oh, thanks, we had this guy, Jonathan Colton, on the show, who I think you know, right? Who Yeah,
7: that was, that was weird. It was like, Glee <laughs> stole a song from a guy that actually legitimately used it and then Glee cleared it. So I, I don't know how that, how that worked.
0: What did you think of his version?
7: I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it was amazing how much traction it gained. Um, there are a lot of versions of it out there. His was uh, probably the most unique in that he wasn't trying to just imitate what I did.
0: How did the idea for this song actually come to you in the first place?
7: Um, for me, it was it was really a, a kind of a knee jerk response to a an ad campaign launched by Budweiser back in the day. Um, I remember the Spud McKenzie uh, girls. This is not really what guys like, and so I said, you know what? I'll just do a song and kind of poke fun at the establishment and just talk about what guys, most guys that I know, really like, which is curves.
0: Did you have any idea that it was going to be such a mega success?
7: Never. I mean, if you listen to how it was written, you can tell that I wasn't thinking about that. I mean, I was pretty edgy, actually, to say what I said back then. I mean, grabbing, going at Cosmo, straight up, Beanpole days in the magazine, that kind of thing, you know?
0: Are you set for life from that one song?
7: Probably. You never know. I mean, you know, you never know. I mean, I'm not... uh, I was lucky enough to have made some good business decisions. I decided to, to hang on to my publishing um, and not not sell it. Although I, I did have a pretty pretty off pretty good offer, I actually made a choice to actually go out and work my publishing, not just take an back. But I went out and worked it.
0: What do you mean when you say you go out and you work your publishing?
7: <laughs> well, some people get a get a, a lot of artists get publishing deals from companies. You know, get huge advances, and they don't work the song. So, in other words. Uh, let's say, you know, McDonald's calls, and they say, hey, we really want to use your song. Well, no, I don't want my song on a McDonald's commercial. Um, Hey, can you redo the song because we're trying to do a cute little thing for HBO? No, I don't want to do that. And they become so proud of their songs, they actually act like they're
0: Mona Lisa
7: paintings. It's just, it cracks me up how some artists take themselves so serious.
0: Uh, What are some of the more unusual ways that you've you've worked the publishing on Baby Got Back? (laughs)
7: Well... (laughs) uh, I remember I was a little worried when we did the Target campaign. I gotta be honest. I like was like, okay, how do, I, how do I do this campaign about backpacks without coming it. off too cheese ball? You know what I mean? So, <laughs>
6: um,
7: that was funny. Then we did this thing for kids reading books and, and stuff like that. So, I, I've used it in a lot of interesting ways. Um, the Butterfinger ad was the funniest. Like big and I cannot lie. We did it just for the internet. And it was myself and Lou Ferrigno and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all these like, acts from one era or another that were doing this thing and fighting over Butterfingers, and, and basically it was all based on Baby Got Back.
0: Um, the other, I think, kind of um, surprising, I would say second act, but I don't know if it's like the ninth act for your song. And we're talking to Sir Mix-a-Lot, by the way, right now, the man behind the... World famous song, "Baby Got Back." Um, the the thing that surprised me as far as uh, another life for the song is that it is always in rotation at karaoke when I go out. A night does not go by <laughs> that somebody does not perform "Baby." I I promise you, it is like the most popular karaoke song in America. How do you account for that?
7: Yeah, that's funny, man. I, I think it's because when I wrote the song, I intentionally did not try to uh, flow. I didn't try to I didn't try to rap at a level where the average Joe would listen to it and not be able to sing it drunk. I mean, I I wanted people (laughs) to be able to hear that song and have fun with it. And I kept it simple, and it made it easy to sing in karaoke. And I've seen some weird takes on Baby Got Back, walking in restaurants.
0: (laughs) One of the things, uh, Mix, that I've always been impressed uh, knowing you over the years by is your business savvy and the way that you have uh, been been really smart with the the songs that you 've created and and the things that you 've done with your with your publishing and that sort of thing i 'm curious is it in your mind harder or easier to make money doing hip hop these days because there's a lot of sampling out there. there are a lot of other platforms for the music to get out, but also nobody's really buying records anymore right
7: i don't the sampling issue I think is over um you're not getting away with stealing music anymore those days are over with um you're gonna you're gonna be punished. Hmm. <laughs> So sampling is kind of, a, of of a dead sport nowadays, but I, I do think that it's a little bit harder in that you have to be have have to be a little more business savvy than you would have in my era. You just had to, all you had to do was sit home and do art. So.
0: Well, mix last question. I mean, you have uh, for particularly people in the Northwest, uh, you've recorded a ton of music that we love and have been listening to for years. But out in the broader sense, nationally and kind of internationally, you will probably be known as a guy who wrote the best song ever about butts, are you okay with that as your legacy?
7: (laughs) You know, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm glad you asked that question because I'd be fooling myself or trying to fool myself if I lied and said that Baby Got Back was not easily my biggest hit. When I do Baby Got Back, I smile, I have a good time doing it. People love it. That's what it's all about. That's why I made the song. And um, just it, it has a place in history. And that's a beautiful thing. That's hard to do.
9: I like big bars. And I cannot lie. I cannot lie. I cannot lie. I cannot lie.
1: You other brothers can't deny. When a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you, you get strong
0: That's Anthony Ray, better known as Sir Mix-a-Lot. I'm Luke Burbank, better known as... You know, I don't really have a cool rap name. In fact, not a lot of cool rap names in public radio, come to think of it. This is something cool though. This is LiveWire Radio, and that choir you just heard, that was our own Jim Brunberg. Every single part of that choir was a different recording of Jim, which is amazing and mildly troubling. Hey, stay with us because coming up on LiveWire, we'll head back to the Alberta Rose Theater to talk crack pies, which is a dessert, don't worry, with Baker Christina Tozi. Stay with us, we'll be right back. The LiveWire podcast is sponsored by Ergo Depot, a company committed to healthy furniture and healthy communities. On the furniture end of things, they've got an entire line of sit, stand, desks, and ergonomically designed chairs to keep your spine from feeling like an unattractively shaped pretzel. And on the community side, they'll match any charitable donation to LiveWire or any nonprofit for 30 days after the purchase of said chair or desk. That's what's known as putting your money where you're healthy spine is, or whatever they say. Find out more information at ErgoDepot.com. Welcome back to LiveWire.
9: Rome, 142 A.D. Glorious Caesar awaits the day's entertainment at the Colosseum along with over 75,000 spectators. A small group of Christians Condemned to face death, huddle in a cellar to receive their last rites. But what most historians don't know is that they also received an inspirational pep talk by famed coach Fabius Rockney.
8: All right, team, gather around, gather around. Take a knee. Now, boys, listen and listen good. We're going to go out there and give these fellas our best. We're going to give them all we got because everyone is counting us out. They say that this team out there is pretty good. They say they're great. Well, I say we're better than great. I say if we play the way we know we can play, we're gonna lick them. But coach, there's a bunch of lions out there. That may be, Billy, that may be. And after all, I've never won a game against those lions. And you, you're just poor Christians who one way or another found their way to this here Coliseum and in the bad graces of the Caesar. But a Christian is just a man and a lion is just a cat and what's a cat to a man when he knows he's a man who's looking at a cat? Seriously, though, f***ing lions. Yeah, Billy. George sure, got claws and teeth and jaws that crush bone. And there's plenty of them out there, each more fearsome than the next. And Jim, howdy, are they fast. They can pounce like a hobo on a runaway penny and corner like a chicken on a crabapple. And talk about a thirst for blood. I've seen these suckers gorge all day and come back at night for midnight leftovers. But you boys, you got the thirst for victory. And there ain't no team that can beat us if we got that kind of thirst. Lions. All right, all right, Billy, enough of that naysaying. It's not even the lions you got to worry about. It's those big, broody gladiators who'll be trying to hack you and chop you and spear you. They sure are strong and nimble, those gladiators. And, well, you're weak and slow, having not been fed in days. Then there's also the lions. Can we just get like a net and a sword or a a trident or something? Ah, heck, Billy, they offered offered a bunch of neat stuff. But I said, no, sir. (laughs) I said, my boys don't need a weapon because they got the biggest weapon a man can have. They got heart and vim and vigor to go with it. And who's to say that you can't have anything this world offers if all you have is a little heart and a whole lot of vim and vigor? Now we're going to go out there, boys, and meet these lions on the playing field. And we're going to give them as good as we get. And we're going to go, 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 and we ain't going to stop till they're repenting and a wheezing and a begging for us to stop. Now, what do you say, boys? I said, what do you say? Let's get (laughs) them! All right, boys, I'll see a third of you at halftime. Good luck.
0: Sean McGrath. And Andrew Harris from our sketch troupe, Ira Glass Houses. That's what they're calling themselves this show. <laughs> Ira Glass Houses. Actually, I don't hate that one. Beats, it beats the living lion out of mana lotion I'll tell you that much. At the tender age of 22, our next guest, Molly Crabapple, founded Dr. Sketchy's Anti-Art School, a chain of alternative drawing classes which now boasts branches in over 100 cities. She's an artist and a writer. She's worked for CNN, The Guardian, and Paris Review. Her latest project is a series of drawings from her trip to Guantanamo Bay called It Don't Get Mo Better Than This, (laughs) Inside the Dark Heart of Guantanamo Bay. Please welcome Molly Crabapple to (laughs) Livewire. Hey, Molly, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: How do you even get press clearance to go to Guantanamo, and can anybody do it?
2: Oh, dear Lord, I have no idea why they cleared me and if they will ever allow me back again. I went down to cover the first time the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed hearings, and it seems like almost anyone could do it except Mother Jones and Jeremy Scahill.
0: (laughs) So they actually have, you think, some folks that they're trying to keep out because they just have not appreciated their previous work?
2: Um, they, they told me that they banned Mother Jones for not being uh, military supportive.
0: What, what surprised you about that place that we've heard so much about, but very few of us have been there?
2: So when you go down there, it's like this sort of very normal American town that even has a gift shop with Caribbean kitschy merchandise. But then there's like a prison off you know to the side that they all try to ignore.
0: And, uh, I mean, walking around that place, was it as... I don't know, scary as you imagined it? Was it as isolated? I mean, how did it add up with what your conception might have been going in?
2: So one of the strangest things about it is you go there and every single surface is covered with propaganda. The slogan of Guantanamo Bay is honor-bound to defend freedom, and it is written everywhere. Every single wall has posters saying "Practice operational security." You're on the battlefield. The enemy is watching, and there are like pictures of iguanas with machine guns and like the word "liberty" and barbed wire around them. It, wait,
0: um, wait, are we are we arming iguanas? <laughs> I feel like I don't read all the way through the defense bill. I don't know what's getting funded, but war I mean, iguanas clearly iguanas war iguanas possible.
2: <laughs> I think that war iguanas are the new uh, the new front for the war against terror.
0: Um. You were you were drawing these really incredible portraits of the facility itself and some of the people in the facility. So were you walking around with a sketch pad, and then were you getting very weird looks from the armed iguanas?
2: <laughs> I, I was walking around with a sketch pad. It's very strange. When you go down to see the prison, it's almost like being in a dollhouse where all the dolls are missing. You are taken on this tour of empty cell blocks, you go to the hospital and you stand next to the empty force-feeding chair while the uh, medics tell you how awesome force-feeding is. Uh, You go to the kitchen and they prepare meals for you to taste that are supposedly just like the detainees' meals. But you only get to see the detainees themselves for seven minutes through like a one-way mirror.
0: Are you allowed to ask them questions or talk to them or do you just observe them basically?
2: you kind of watch them like zoo animals. You're not allowed to speak to them at all. They have banned the detainees from any contact with the outside world except um, quarterly phone calls with their family.
0: Is it possible, you think, for journalists to get, whether they're drawing uh, portraits or writing about it in any of the publications that aren't Mother Jones, um, is it possible for them to actually get a sense of what's going on there with all of the restrictions?
2: You know... I don't think so. There are some, like, amazing, badass journalists who have been going down there for 12 years, and maybe they have, like, super secret inns, but at best, I feel like you can just cover the strangeness of that place, because there, there are no objective sources on anything. There's just, like, on one hand, the army. Everything is awesome. These detainees are lucky to be here. They have more chances to enjoy themselves than at home direct quote, and on the other hand, you have uh, their lawyers who are like, everyone is a saint.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, because you've been down there, you've been closer to the uh, to this sort of story than a lot of us. Who do you think is in there? I mean, are these guys, are they terrorists? Are they all innocent guys? I mean, who's down there?
2: There are definitely some people who are terrorists. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is down there, the mastermind of the USS Cole bombing, But according to the chief prosecutor, we're only ever going to charge 20 people. So that means there are 144 people who the U.S. government never plans to charge with any crimes. Some of them, I think, were kind of like low-level Taliban guys. Some of them might have, you know, been foreign fighters who were like fighting the Russians and stayed on. Some of them are absolutely innocent— um, the reason we got so many innocent dudes there is we dropped leaflets in Afghanistan offering $5,000 bounties for anyone who a random Afghan civilian said was a terrorist.
0: I mean, because there are a good number of guys in there who the U.S. has found not guilty, but they can't be released because of jurisdictional issues and, I guess, no one to take them back.
2: Yeah, one of the big things is that the majority of dudes that we've cleared there are from Yemen. And we're desperately afraid to send dudes back to Yemen because we think, oh, no, even if they weren't al-Qaeda at first, they'll join al-Qaeda now because they're really angry. And so yeah. Yeah, we, we, might have, we might have pissed them off. Um, so even though this is, this is ridiculous, the recidivism rate is actually crazy low, but we have them in this bizarre legal limbo. As best I can figure out, the U.S. is just hoping that everyone ignores this until the guys die.
0: What do you think... You're able to convey with your with your portraits because a lot has been written about it. But but I, I would say that looking at your pictures, it really it brought it home in a real different way for me.
2: I want people to realize that these these guys are human, and a lot of these dudes have essentially been kidnapped. They've been brought here. They've been put in a position where they can't prove their innocence, or if they do prove their innocence, it doesn't matter. And then they're just they're stuck there. They're stuck there forever. It's this bizarre Kafkaesque nightmare. And I want people to see the Gitmo detainees not as these boogeymen in orange jumpsuits, but as humans just like them.
0: Would you you ever go back to Guantanamo if you got the chance? And follow-up question, have you ruined the chance of ever going back there by what you've created from your time there?
2: I, I might go back there. It's a really intense experience, and I, I do feel like I've covered the aspects I can, but m- maybe, I, maybe I would go back. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed to go back. The Department of Defense was very angry at me for that article. In fact, a DOD official called up my editor advice and um, was very upset with him because I, quote, made him look like a tool.
0: <laughs> based on how you depicted him in one of your portraits?
2: Based on how I, uh, based on how I wrote about their treatment of journalists. He said that I portrayed the uh, Guantanamo publicists as insincere.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Molly Crabapple, thanks for going down there. Thanks for your work, and uh, and thanks for bringing this stuff to our attention.
2: Thank you so much.
0: That's Molly Crabapple, ladies and gentlemen. Molly's latest project is, it don't get mo' better than this, inside the dark heart of Guantanamo Bay. Livewire is sponsored in part by Laughing Planet Cafe, providing locally sourced burritos in an optimal burrito configuration. Which, if you didn't know, is tortilla tightly wrapped around other food. So good, so close. More information at laughingplanetcafe.com.
5: Philip? Yeah, honey? Uh, Philip, I, I need to talk to you about your gaming habits.
9: Just just a sec, honey.
5: Okay, Philip, you're not listening.
9: Th- third door drown.
5: I've been holding this in, but I need to say it.
9: I'm, I'm totally paying attention to whatever it is that you're talking about right now. They're right by the, it's right by the beans.
5: Okay, how about this? How about you explain to me what is going on in your Sims game?
9: Oh, thank you for finally asking. I just finished building an exquisite Oriental tea pavilion, and I put some fragrant peach trees around the perimeter there. And I've got some complimentary lattice work planned for the south wing later.
5: Uh huh. And how long has it been since you mowed the lawn? We have a lawn.
9: I mean, of of course we have a lawn. We have a lawn. Of course, a lawn. We've got one of those. It's a lawn. Stop it.
5: All right, moving on. Can you tell me how many pizza boxes are in the bathroom right now?
9: Uh, Just a rough estimate. About three? Seven,
5: I counted. And 15 in the living room. Okay, and
9: your point is... Philip,
5: you have created a gorgeous four-bedroom French colonial utopia with a freaking tea pavilion in The Sims while our real-life house languishes in squalor. Okay, uh,
9: sure, when you put it like that, it sounds bad.
5: <laughs> it sounds bad because it is bad. Look... When we moved in together, I had certain expectations when it came to interior decoration. I decorate? Look at the coffee table in your game. It's magnificent. A masterful application of joinery and staining. What is the wood made of?
9: Oh, it's a teak you can only find in the Burmese rainforest. After four seasons of drought, have bleached it to a perfect dusky patina.
5: Oh, cool. Yeah. And what's ours?
9: It's a pile of pizza boxes.
5: Sorry, what? It's a pile of pizza boxes. Yeah, a pile of pizza boxes that is starting to tip over. Even now, as we're talking, do you see? Do you see it tipping? I want you to have eyes on this, Philip.
9: Okay, calm down. All right? I I made the coffee table because I needed a nice space to write my dissertation.
5: Philip, you went to clown college. In
9: real life, but in the game, I'm getting a master's in Egyptology.
5: Wait, is that your character studying now? Yeah. My God! Look at your character. What have you dressed him in?
9: Well, right now I've equipped a cashmere morning suit with this little French... It's
5: unspeakably elegant.
9: Well, I mean, it's nothing fancy. It's nothing
5: fancy? Just a contemporary look with the classic lines of old Hollywood. It's a stunning silhouette, Philip. And what are you, real life Philip, currently wearing?
9: A purple snuggie.
5: The purple snuggie. You know this isn't working, Philip. I think it's time for couples counseling.
9: That—that's actually not a good idea.
5: Oh, really?
9: Okay, here's the thing. My character already went to couples counseling with your character in the game, and it didn't go so great.
5: My character? You made me a character? Oh yeah, didn't I show? Yeah, look,
9: look right here. See? There you are. You're still stewing in the South Observatory.
5: You gave me an observatory? Well, yeah,
9: didn't you say you always wanted an observatory?
5: She's so beautiful. Well, I don't have cheekbones like that. They're like the cliffs of Dover on a spring day.
9: Well, I always thought you did. Oh,
5: Philip, well, that's sweet, but. Oh.
9: There's room in this purple snuggie for two.
5: Mm, fine. Oh! Can I ride a unicorn to work?
9: Okay, now you're ruining everything.
0: Andrew Harris and Laura Faye Smith from the Ira Glass Houses here on Livewire. Christina Tozzi is the chef, owner, and founder of Momofuku Milk Bar in Brooklyn. It's been called one of the most exciting bakeries in the country by Bon Appetit magazine. They're known for their delicious, unconventional treats like crack pie, compost cookies, and the best idea in human history, cereal milk-flavored ice cream... Your move, Nobel Prize Committee. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Christina Tosi and her snacks to (laughs) LiveWire. Welcome to LiveWire.
6: Hi.
0: So how do you do this? Did you just have a more developed sweet tooth than the average person? (laughs) Overly.
3: Overly developed if you ask my mom.
0: Really? Like were you always (laughs) into this kind of stuff?
3: I think until the age of 18, all I ate was dessert. My poor mother. (laughs) My poor, poor mother. I like remember the day that I first had a raw tomato and I was 18 years old. Can you imagine?
0: You are really undercutting (laughs) what a lot of parents are trying to do with their kids. I'm really
3: raising the bar for the kids, though. Do you have kids? I don't have kids.
0: What are you going to let them eat when they're... I don't
3: know. That's a really good question. I remember my mom trying to sort of force feed milk into my diet, and the only way she could really, I'm also very stubborn, so the only way she could really accomplish me getting a glass of milk into my bloodstream was through a bowl of cereal, and so the game was you could choose whatever cereal you wanted at the grocery store, and so we would have this kitchen cupboard full of every single cereal known to man, so I'm also a grossly um, over-read pro at cereal.
0: What makes the best leftover milk?
3: You know, it depends on my mood. If you ask me right now, I'm gonna say Lucky Charms. But some days it's Captain Crunch. In the morning, it might be Golden Grahams. Oh
0: yeah, that's Uh, cinnamon.
3: (laughs) Fruity Pebbles also makes a killer cereal milk, but our standard cereal milk at Milk Bar is actually made with cornflakes, which are pretty boring in the cereal department, but they really convey the theory behind cereal milk because it kind of tastes like Frosted Flakes. Arguably, it tastes like Rice Krispies or Kix. If you're a little bit of a hippie, maybe it tastes a little bit more like granola milk. So Corn Flakes make a really great cereal milk.
0: Yeah, the problem with the Captain Crunch milk is that it's full of blood from the roof of your mouth. (laughs)
3: You know, And so when you start to talk about cereal with people, I get really excited about the theory of cereal milk. When you start to talk about cereal with people, everyone starts to share the like, deep down secrets that like, you don't talk about unless you're like in your holy sweatpants on your couch. And it really is the truth behind Captain Crunch. Where if you're really going for it, the roof of your mouth yeah. is torn up. It's like a pothole rope.
0: When, when I was a kid, my parents had these sort of weird rules about the, the kind of cereal we could and couldn't have. They didn't want sugary cereal. We were allowed to get kicks right? But we were allowed to drink chocolate milk, so I would reverse engineer Cocoa Puffs (laughs) with kicks and then chocolate milk.
3: See, so everyone, I feel like even at a really early age, you have this really important relationship with food, and you have your own, like, mentality of what tastes good and how you're going to get from point A to point B and how to work around the rules. I would swallow lima beans. i take lima beans and, like, uh, take a gulp of uh, water and just swallow them down. So it was like I was never actually eating them. They were never, like, touching my... So that I could get to my bowl of cereal. But you do what you have to do when you're a kid so that yeah. you
0: can... <laughs> Do you still... Tend to eat like that, or do you? Having I mean, has your diet sort of you know, balanced out?
3: I, <laughs> we opened Milk Bar about five years ago, and up until that point, I was still eating like a teenage boy. Is like the only way that I can describe it. Um, where it's, I, I will eat chips. Chips are like my savory food. The savory. Mm-hmm. End of my spectrum, and then everything else is dessert. And I finally got to the point when we opened Milk Bar that I just OD'd. There was just a point, to be fair, it was like a good six or eight months into opening the bakery where I would eat slices of this pie that we make called Candy Bar Pie. I would eat it for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And after eight months of sleeping like two or three (laughs) hours a day, I just remember waking up one day and being like, I feel so bad. (laughs) What is wrong? I went to the doctor. I I made them take blood. I was like, I need a physical. She was like, there's actually nothing wrong with you. You just, it definitely sounds like you should stop eating this candy bar pie thing for breakfast and dinner.
0: You know, I salute you though, for going for it in that way, because I feel like we have a lot of answering to do to our young selves. Because <laughs> like, if I could, if I talked to young Luke Burbank right now, he would go, wait, so you have a car, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, and you have like enough money for candy bars? Go, yeah, he goes, why are you not eating those all day <laughs> all long in a tree house? What's going on with this adult life of yours? Yeah, but I So I, feel I like... like that you're living up to the ideals yeah. of young Christina Tosin. Yeah,
3: and I feel like... There definitely is that sort of, like, Peter Pan-ness about never wanting to get old, and I think that my sort of perspective and approach to food is very much that way. I know that I'm getting older, but I, I just love celebrating what it feels like to be a kid, and I do that a lot of times in the kitchen and how I eat and how I create and, like, what I tap into,
0: I was going to ask you that because, you know, I've read you talking about your inspiration for this stuff and it's sweet and delicious, but for you it is really like a powerful way to connect with childhood, right?
3: Yeah, you know, I, so much of who I am from a food standpoint started with my food memories as a kid. I was raised by a mother and grandmothers that loved to bake and through their baking they nurtured and they shared and they were these great, wonderful, powerful women and... Somehow eating cookie dough is a great excuse to say I'm a really good, wonderful, powerful woman, but a lot of what I ate in my childhood very much shaped who I am today and my perspective on food and my perspective on life. And so I love tapping into that sort of child, those childhood moments, and no one's ever gonna make a better oatmeal cookie than my grandma, and I, I tap into that. And we don't make an oatmeal cookie at Milk Bar, and we don't make an apple pie at Milk Bar, but we make an apple pie cake. So we take the inspiration behind an apple pie, and rather than competing with everyone's favorite childhood memory of that exact apple pie, we take it as inspiration to create something new, but in a vehicle that's still really relatable.
0: We're talking to Christina Tosi from Milk Bar in Brooklyn. Um, you've brought something out. This is the famous <laughs> crack pie. Yes,
3: I brought you a slice of yeah. our um, dangerous, do dangerous I, do confection. Do I eat this or, or smoke so, it in a glass pipe? <laughs> it's up to you, I suppose. We serve it um, like a finger food at Milk Bar. We serve it by the slice. You eat it kind of like you would eat a slice of Brooklyn pizza. So right, just let me just describe for this for people out there in Radioland.
0: It's, it's actually pretty thin. It's, um, yeah, when you dense. hear when you hear pie, you might think of something that's like an apple pie, but it's not. It's very dense. The, this feels like the most calorically dense thing yes, it, I have it, ever it seen. Is. I feel like if you found someone who had been floating in the middle of the ocean <laughs> on like a wrecked ship, this is that what you is would what give them would. <laughs> to give them nutrition of that would you know take the course of months to get Okay, I'm gonna take a bite of this. Uh, Do it. How so much it
3: has it's a ridiculous ratio of butter, sugar, vanilla. Egg yolks, some heavy cream.
0: I'm gonna take a bite. Somebody's driving their Volvo in Austin. They just like wanna kill some guy in Portland who's about to eat a piece of cake.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh my god, that is really fing amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. can we just like pause this? I need a minute with the food.
8: Um,
0: I, I read that you recently collaborated with a supermodel to make a gluten free. Dairy-free... I can't even read the rest of this question because it's ridiculous. (laughs) Why would you do that? You know,
3: (laughs) we... um, Running a bakery in New York City is no easy feat, and... I personally have no allergies. I I can eat cereal all day for the first 18 years of my life and grow up to be big and strong. But um, opening a bakery in New York City, we didn't realize how many allergies and picky, picky eaters that there were out there. So we make these gluten-free, dairy-free cookies with Carly Kloss. And she loves to bake, but she is in this industry where there is this intense pressure to eat healthy, but she still wants to have this sort of guilty pleasure. And so I thought it was like mission impossible, game on. Very stubborn. I'm also very competitive. So I was like, we're going to find a way to make the best damn gluten-free cookie. And it's fun to create a gluten-free cookie with, with this very high bar raised for the crack pie. And so we use our... Um, very, very guilty pleasures as bakers to find a way to make gluten-free baked goods. Well, I'm sure that that cookie
0: is as delicious as described, but I am really glad you brought the crack pie instead. (laughs) Instead. (laughs) And I'll just need to get the methadone pie um, Uh, (laughs) when you get a chance, because I'm... (laughs) Trying to deal with some addiction issues. Uh, you're here for this thing called Feast in yes. Portland, right? Which is a big food get-together. Big get food together. festival,
3: yeah. Put on by Bon Appetit magazine.
0: And have right. you been distributing your, uh, your, your your wares about town? <laughs>
3: yes, we have. We um, brought a bunch of cake truffles to the night market last night. We had a little conversation on chocolate this morning. And whenever we come to a new city, we bring multiple crack pies and birthday cake truffles because you really got to pedal it when you Yeah.
0: <laughs> when we were backstage our executive producer Robin Tannenbaum, she didn't care what happened on the show she just wanted to make sure <laughs> we didn't eat it. all of the pie <laughs> on stage. It was literally her number one concern and you know what? You were totally right. It was a good move on your part. It's amazing. Christina Tozi, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks
4: for having me. <laughs>
0: That was Christina Tosi, chef at Momofuku Milk Bar. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Live Wire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market. Who know that healthy living becomes more of a priority in January after you may have accidentally eaten an entire gingerbread house last month? That's Okay. It happens. You know, healthy, fiber rich winter greens like kale, Swiss chard, and collard greens can offset those overindulgences with their very unginger like wealth of vitamins A and C. More information can be found at eataspromised.com. And now, with his thoughts on cake and other delicious things, here's poet Scott Poole, the author of Hiding from Salesmen and the Sliding Glass Door, with reflections by the pool
4: This poem is entitled Why Cake is Kept Under a Glass Lid While Fruits and Vegetables Are Left in Open Bowls And Are So Quiet and Docile That They Often End Up In Still Life Paintings <laughs> Because Cake Never frickin' Shuts Up <laughs> Hey You Over there, kitchen citizen. Yes, you eating your pile of bland sadness on that dirty stoneware. Observe this slice in my side. It's a doorway, a succulent portal to escape the vapid failure of your life. (laughs) Outside, as the dying owl of your life lands on the skeleton of the winter oak, you can be harbored instead inside in my moist molecular structure. Now you are not lost. You are an important scientist, and every molecule you discover is delicious. You just discovered scrumdiliatonium. In your world, if you have, let's say, a job working in a coal mine, it's dig, dig, and more dig all day. In my world, you can just say, f*** it, and sit down in the dark and eat your lantern. I can show you a place where you can live if you can jump high enough in a cake cliff wall like the Anasazi Indians. You have a cake pueblo with a cake walk up to it, wear a cake suit, go to a cake job, and be naked by the red, red sunset, holding onto the delicate crumbs left of your life and still be happy as George O'Keefe bringing a cow skull to the gynecologist. <laughs> because if you're naked, there's no worries. You just jump into the refrigerator. You don't even have to open the door. It's cake. And inside, waiting for you, more cake. (laughs) Even the bad parts of the day are good. If you stroll into a spider's web, well, damn it, Wilbur, it's Charlotte. You can just enjoy the gossamer feeling of cake strands playing about your body all day. And you'll laugh when birds attack you and discover it tickles. And as your giggles fall about you, happy mice will nibble them and dance about you as if you were the sexiest maypole on earth. Everyone who loses their job here just walks over to the Frosting River, takes a nap in a soft river raft, Moving so slow, you can get out at any time, eat a river rock or a chocolate otter, and get back in when you wake up. And you are deposited in Skid Row, where they swear a lot, but every swear word is a cupcake that pops out of your mouth that your friend can consume, then belch back out the helpful hints you were trying to say. Like, if your leg turns gangrenous, you can just cut it off, and the cake doctor will bake you a new one, and all your steps will be spongy and light, and your blood will be raspberry filling, and your eyes gumdrops, and your tongue a long gingly rope remember please keep that lid on for the poem of cake has no end thank you
0: Scott Poole reflections by the pool alright one more time please give a warm live wire welcome
1: for our friend Jonathan Colton This song is about a vacuum cleaner, and also horrible, horrible adulthood.
6: Took the freeway out of town. Found a place to settle down. Got a driveway and a swing set and a dog. You got your very own bathroom. I got my very own workshop in the basement. We sit around staring at the wall to wall. Take field trips to our favorite mall Waiting for the day when all the kids grow up and leave us here If you need me, I'll be downstairs with the shop vac You can call, but I probably won't hear you Because it's loud with the shop vac on But you'll be okay You'll be upstairs with the TV You can cry and I probably won't hear you Because it's loud with the shop back on We hung a flag above the door Checked out the gourmet grocery store Got a mower I can ride around the yard But we haven't got real friends and now even the fake ones have stopped calling. Maybe if you forget to hide the keys, I'll take a ride to Applebee's. Come home drunk on daiquiris and throw up on the neighbor's lawn. If you need me, I'll be downstairs with the shop back. You can come, but I probably won't hear you because it's loud with the shop back on. You'll be okay. Cause you'll be upstairs with the TV. You can cry and I probably won't hear you because it's loud with the shop back on. I like the Starbucks here that's better than the other one cuz the other one's not as good. They really need to put a light here cuz it's hard to turn. It's hard to make a left turn. When it's time to go to bed I'm still awake inside my head Floating up above the house and looking down I guess I gotta go back there I guess there never was any other answer And as the freeway hums, the cars go by The headlights roll across the sky Many miles away and I can see them speeding through the dark. If you need me, I'll be downstairs with the shop back. You can call, but I probably won't hear you. Because it's loud with the shop back on. But you'll be okay, cause you'll be upstairs with the TV. You can cry and I probably won't hear you. Because it's loud with the shop back on.
0: Jonathan Colton here on LiveWire Radio. That is our show. Thank you so much. Our thanks to our guests, Molly Crabapple, Christina Tozey, and Jonathan Colton. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, Laughing Planet Cafe, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Arts Commission, and listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. Our sketch comedy troupe is Sean McGrath. Laura Faye Smith, and Andrew Harris. Our head writer is Courtney Hommeister, with show writers Sean McGrath, Jason Rouse, Scott Poole, and me. Guest writers this show were Alex Falcone and Ben Coleman. Sound effects by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom. Our house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Robin Tenenbaum. LiveWire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about listening or becoming a member of LiveWire, visit LiveWireRadio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Dear LiveWire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and Make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us. And uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of LiveWire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.